This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Well, we are going to talk today about a really interesting topic, which is, uh, I kind of called it family crisis, over maybe overcoming coming family crisis or whatever, but uh, we're going to talk to Christina Hibbert, and I interviewed her at the Compassionate Friends uh, National Conference in Arizona and I was just so incredibly impressed by her story and, and all the good that she's been able to do in the world in overcoming a tragedy. How do you want to uh, introduce her? Absolutely, Mom. And we are going to talk today about family crisis. And as you said, our guest is Dr. Christina Hibbert. Dr. Christina Hibbert is a clinical psychologist and author specializing in women's mental health, grief, loss, parenting, pregnancy, and personal growth. In 2007... Her sister and brother-in-law died in an automobile accident. Her family doubled in size as they inherited two adorable nephews. Suddenly, she went from a mom of four children to six children. She is also the best-selling author of Eight Keys to Mental Health Through Exercise, Who Am I Without You? Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. What should we call you? I, I heard you refer to yourself, I think, as Christy. Yes, please call me Christy. Okay, great. <laughs> My friends call me Christy, so please. <laughs> well, welcome, Christy. All right, yes, Christy. thank you. Well, tell us about your story. Now, was I correct? They were killed in an automobile accident, your parents? No. I mean, you're, excuse me, you're <laughs> no, not actually, your parents. No, actually, no. Um, everybody thinks that because, you know, usually when two parents die, that's what happened. But actually, my brother-in-law died first. Oh, He okay. died of skin cancer. Oh, wow. Um, he was 30... 32 years old at the time, and two months later, my sister died of an overdose of alcohol and Tylenol. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Um, and oh my gosh. she was 31 at the time, yes. Oh, what a shock. And do you think family. that her death had anything to do with the fact that he died? Yes. I mean, he. they had been, they had been divorced, mm-hmm. yeah, but they were still very close. And um, she, she said after he died that she didn't realize until after he was gone that he was the love of her life. Mm-hmm. And she'd been struggling somewhat, but ironically, she had been doing a lot better right before. It seemed ironic. Um, but one night, she started dating some other guy. They got in a fight, and she got drunk and took some Tylenol and one sleeping pill and never woke up. The kids, mm-hmm. Her kids found her in the morning. Oh my gosh, um, she was no longer living. So That's yeah. wow, so she had an accident overdose. Yeah. That is yeah. very sad. And how did the kids end up being with you? Did they have a will? There was no will. So I actually was uh, at the time eight months pregnant with my fourth. Wow. And when I was when I heard this, I was um, the first words out of my mouth to my husband were, "Do you realize we just inherited two kids?" Because um, I'm the oldest. My sisters, my sister and I were very close, only 16 months apart, and our kids were right around the same age. And mm-hmm. there, you know, in my side of the family, there were no other, you know, nobody else has, still nobody else has any other children. And on her husband's side of the family, 
um, there's, he only had one brother who wasn't married or anything. So we just knew that they would come to us. And oh, you didn't have any parents. Your parents didn't want to raise them or, or his parents? You know, the grandparents, originally everybody agreed. And then later into it, we ended up in a court battle with his grandparents. They didn't want to raise them, but they wanted to court mandate visits and things. And they didn't want us to adopt them. And Anyway, it's a very long, my whole book, This Is How We Grow, is actually the story of this whole experience because mm-hmm. it was just so crazy, the whole thing. I mean, we had three kids, and then we had five for two weeks because I got we inherited the two nephews, and then I had a baby. So. Wow. How old were the two nephews when you inherited them? They were six and ten at the time, and my oldest at the time was 11, and then I had an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, and then... A couple weeks later, I gave birth to a new baby. So then all of a sudden, I had six kids. So So this is how we grow, is that people are getting intrigued by this story. You're going to want to get that book. But tell me, probably financial issues, because, uh, you know, raising the kids, I mean, was that part of it, that the family wanted them? Um, It wasn't so much that they wanted them as far as – no, it was more it was more of a control thing. <laughs> it was not good. There was not a healthy relationship with um with those grandparents and and the our nephews. And especially because everybody else in the whole family um wanted, you know, knew that they should be with us and that we should adopt them and so it took a long time and we ended up adopting them with without telling anybody, uh, without telling the grandparents on my the on their paternal on their dad's side. Um, because we could and because we knew that was the right thing and because that's what the kids wanted and the grandparents didn't really, um, you know, weren't thinking about what the kids wanted at the time. So it was a really hard experience for all of us. Um, But But what a fabulous thing to give them the security of adopting Well, Well, not only that, you know, I'm thinking here you are 6 and 10. Do you want to be in a family with others, with your cousins and, you know, relatively parents that could actually be your parents from an age perspective? I mean, I would. Right. I think it's a much easier exactly. transition for these boys. I think it's what's in, you know, when I'm thinking of what would be easier for these boys, I would think that. And then they can be surrounded yep. by not only the love of you and your husband, but but their cousins. I, I love exactly. this idea. who were their siblings. And actually having the baby was sort of a gift in that way because she came home to, you know, four brothers and one sister versus, mm-hmm. you know, cousins. They And so she didn't, actually, she didn't even know until she was seven that they were originally her cousins. Wow, that's <laughs> because amazing. Because they've always treated her like she was a sister. And also, they I started love calling us mom and dad two weeks, two weeks after they came to live with us. They started calling us mom and dad. And wow. so you're right. I think they really needed that, and they mm-hmm. needed that security. And to take our last name even was really healing for them. Yeah. I yeah. Lo- well, as someone that's adopted a child, I love this story. Yeah. I mean, my daughter is from China. And um, she's certainly very much a part of our family, and my my sibling, my kids are extremely close. So I love this. I love this whole story. It's it's amazing. And you're you're amazing because I said to my mother, you know, here's a woman that's got six kids, and yet she's still doing so much in the world with her own life, with you know, with around grief and loss, and keynoting, and writing books, and all these other things. It's incredible. And I love that you talk about parenting issues because who better than you? <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Well, well let's it. talk a little bit about how you physically have gotten through this yes. whole thing, because I think that's so important. You not only had a baby, then you had mm-hmm. two kids, and you've got a big family now. And and talk to us about um, 
eight, eight keys to mental health through exercise. What do you do? What kind of exercise, and what do you recommend to people? Yeah, thank you. Um, and that's always been one of my main go-tos as far as um, processing grief. I've, you know, my youngest sister died when she was eight of cancer, and wow. my best friend died of suicide. <laughs> um, took she actually left her daughter at my house and went and jumped off the Grand Canyon. Wow! Oh my goodness! Um, Unbelievable. I mean, there's been a lot of loss in my life, and so every time I'm going through that grief process again, for me. It's, you know, walking and just sort of thinking about things or crying or, you know, as I say, motion creates or, you know, motion moves the emotion. So it's, you know, when we move our body, it moves all of those, all of those feelings that otherwise get stuck inside. And it seems too simple, but there's so much research showing how exercise not only can prevent, you know, further, you know, deeper grief or even things like depression and anxiety that can come out of grief, but it can also treat all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so it's a valuable component to treatment and, and really the type of exercise you do. I mean, I've done all kinds of different things over my life. I love, I used to actually teach fitness classes. That's why I ended up um, writing this book because I had that background and then a psychology background as well as a psychologist. Um, But, you know, most of it is about how do we how do we, you know, sort of get our mind around the idea that we really need that movement in our life and, and then find things that we enjoy doing to help us. So for me, that was walking, that was yoga, that was Pilates. And, and that was, you know, I work out at home. I don't prefer to go to a gym because I, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of time. So I want to do that at home and, and I need it. I need it for my mental health. It's part of my, it's part of my health and wellness plan really for my whole life long. And without exercise, I feel like I don't have the energy. I don't sleep as well. I can't process the things I go through as well. So it's a, it's really a valuable tool for everybody. I like what you say about you've done different things at different times because myself, over a long lifetime now, I've done different exercises and been involved. You know, I I do golf now and yoga, but early on I did mm. step aerobics and I used to run. And so, you know, there are different things, and you can do different things throughout your lifetime. You don't um, have to do the same type of thing. You can pick up new new things. Oh, and I used to play tennis. And yeah. I'm not doing that now. Yeah. So, you know. And I also just, like, Mom, that, that you know, Christy said you can, you can do things at home. You don't have to go out to a gym to get exercise. It's true. There are so many tapes now and, mm-hmm. and, and things. That's that right. I love those. And I have to say, too, one of the keys of my book is exercise as a family. And that's something that's been very helpful in healing as I was also raising my children who were all grief stricken and, and having all of their issues as they've been growing up around grief as well um, is to, you know, get us moving as a family to be active and to go outside and maybe play a sport or, you know, do something active together, especially with the boys. I have four, you know, my, my nephews and then my two sons, so they're the four oldest to get them talking. So you can get, you can really help the grief process as well by just going out, Hey, let's go shoot some baskets. And while we're doing that, Hey, let's, you know, maybe I'll ask you a couple of questions. And you might actually forget that you're actually answering them to me um, yeah. instead of keeping it all to yourself, right? And it reminds me of the book Real Boys, which was written by a Harvard yeah. psychologist that says, and you know this, Christy, because you do it every day, some of the best conversations you can have with boys are shoulder to shoulder. And, I mean, that's yeah. what you're doing when you're, when you're kind of shooting hoops with them. You're not staring at them in the face. Yes, so true. Well, one of the things uh, for people who've lost 
a family member, there seems to be some guilt around working out and exercising and taking care of yourself early on particularly, yeah. and I, I think there needs to be kind of a caution for people about that. Yes, I think that's a really good point because, you know, I think we do. That survivor guilt can be very, very powerful, and we need to remember, though, that that the exercise isn't sort of a guilty pleasure. It's 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 a necessity. As I say, it's called a need because you need it. You know, it's not something that, that's just super, superfluous. I mean, that exercise, that moving your body is part of the grief process. It's part of the grief work that you'll be doing. And it's part of keeping your body strong enough to get you through, especially those hard months and years while, while you are going through the grief process, and then to carry you beyond. And, you know, my tagline and what I always like to say is, you know, that we can overcome, as, as in doing the grief work and overcome the grief, but we can also... You know, we also need to become and to flourish. We can flourish again. And to me, exercise is a key in all of those things. It helps us to know who we are better. It helps us to feel better about ourselves as we overcome the grief. And it helps us to then go on and, and flourish and become who we really want to be and who we are meant to be. You know, I was thinking about you uh, after your sister died. You not only had your sibling grief, and you had your parents had their grief, and a lot of siblings feel like they have to support their parents, and then you had these kids. Talk about that a little bit. Yes. So ironically, or maybe I feel like I was prepared in a lot of ways because my when my youngest sister died, she was eight, and she died of cancer of the kidneys, and um, that was really hard on our family. It really deeply impacted my parents. They went so my my dad sort of shut himself off into work, and my mom really shut herself off from the world in grief and depression for years and years. And, um, and they weren't available to take care of my siblings that were younger. I was 18 at the time. I was out of the house, but I was, you know, I, and I was in college, but after I got married a couple years later, I came back and I helped make dinners and take care of my family because, you know, my mother just wasn't able to, and my dad was at work. And so I knew what I didn't want to do. <laughs> to say, you know, for lack of a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. So that drove me. It drove me because I always wished my parents had been more present and able to help us with our grief, but they were so overwhelmed by their own that they just couldn't. Um, and so I was very mindful. I went to therapy right away. So I had my support. I had my exercise. I talked to anybody I could talk to, to try to keep that grief process working and, and working through it. And, and doing whatever I knew I'd learned already, especially as a psychologist, that I needed mm-hmm. to do. And I, you know, also realized that I had to be parenting along the way. So I didn't have the luxury of falling into my grief and, and despair. Um, instead, I had to, I, I really had to pull myself together and be there for my siblings. And luckily, I did learn a lot of that from watching my parents and seeing, okay, I don't want to do this, and I do want to do that. And it really did fuel me to to try to take care of myself as best I could um, because I also suffer from postpartum depression. So there was sort of that mixed in. Oh, my goodness. Well. Um, and, and did you find that with your last baby? I mean, with your, your baby, your last baby? I mean, here you are grieving the death of your yeah. sister and brother-in-law, and then you have a newborn, and then you have two other children that you just, did, you know, that were going to be adopted. I mean, this is a lot. It was a lot, and I was sort of probably in shock for a good two months or so, mm-hmm. and then it started to wear off, and then I started to kind of feel like, okay, maybe I'm not, you know, just superwoman, and I can't handle all this. I've got to, you know, I've got to stop and take care of myself, but being able to 
have that baby, it's interesting because I, I, at one point as a psychologist, I pulled out my diagnostic manual and I'm like, what mm-hmm. do I have? You know, I have anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and I have grief and I have depression. And I mean, postpartum depression, who knows what it was? I mm-hmm. know that I had like so many symptoms of grief and of depression and of anxiety and all these different things. But what really mattered was that it was interesting because for this experience, the baby was sort of my refuge. Mm-hmm. So I could go in my room and feed her, you know, breastfeed her and just spend time with her. And that was sort of my excuse to escape all of the chaos that I felt like everything else was out in the, out in my home. Yeah. My husband was awesome. He just stepped up. I was going to say, tell us about your husband. He must be an amazing yeah. guy. <laughs> it certainly wasn't just me. I mean, he really did. He never even said, he never even said, you know, anything about us taking on the boys. He just immediately, he agreed that that was what was going to happen. And he became the dad to them. And while I was with the baby, when I needed to be, he would be out trying to play with the boys or trying to take care of, you know, my other daughter trying to help me out. And of course he was working and and he wasn't there all the time, but he really was a very present father for them when I needed those moments of escape. And to me, the baby was sort of escape in that sense, which was ironic because with all my other kids, I felt like the baby was sort of tying me down (laughs) and I couldn't go and I couldn't escape and I couldn't. um, But, and that led to my depression before, but in this case, it was almost like she was part of the healing. And then, like I said, also because she came home to the whole family, she was sort of that last missing piece to starting this new family. I was going to say she was the glue that held everybody together. And, yeah, and and your really nephews was. never knew her as anything but a sibling. Exactly. It was kind of, it really was a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways. I mean, of course it was really difficult having mm-hmm. a newborn on top of everything, but but as far as our family healing process, it was a really big blessing. And um she has continued she's still like the funny one in our family and makes everybody laugh and you know, everybody gets attention. She gets all the attention, all that, you know, so she really, she knows her role well. <laughs> plays and, it well. So she's, she's 10 now. And what's your oldest? Nine, yeah. And my oldest is 20 and my oldest nephew is 20 as well, because the first two are only four months apart. So my biological wow. son is the oldest. And then four months later is. So they're like, my, they're like my, Irish twins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what are they doing? Oh, so, so they're off at college. Well, uh, my oldest is off at college down in Tucson. I live in Flagstaff. And my mm-hmm. other, my nephew, who's the second one, is at college um, in Flagstaff. Love it. And working. And, my oldest yeah, is also, my oldest is at also at Tucson. I've got another one about to graduate. So. Christy, my, my oldest is also at Tucson. Oh, you're kidding. Now at University of Arizona as well. So, oh, how fun. Okay, so you said the oldest, the oldest two are in college. And then, I'm sorry, what were the other ones doing? Um, so the next one is my biological son, too, uh, uh, Colton. He's about to graduate, and he's actually going to go um, serve a mission for our church mm-hmm. and then go to BYU. Mm-hmm. And then that my next one is my nephew, Brody, and he is 16 and playing basketball and driving now, and very ha- his life is complete, wow. let me just say. <laughs> and and then my daughters are now 13 and 9 and um, just, you know, living their life and Everybody's doing really well right now. I, I don't take those moments for granted when everybody's doing well because it's not all the time that we're all sort of doing well. So I'm, I'm living that up right now while it lasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, tell everybody about your website because it's so fabulous. You've got so much on it. Thank you. Yes, it's Dr. Christina Hibbert. So that's D-R Christina with a C-H and then Hibbert, H-I-B-B-E-R-T dot com. 
And yeah, there's lots of free resources. There's a personal growth group, a personal growth plan. There's a lot of articles about grief and loss I've written, links to my YouTube channel where you can find a lot of videos I've done. I also do a, a radio show called Motherhood where we talk about all things related to parenting and motherhood. And um, and we have touched on the, the topic of grief and loss several times as well. So you could also check that out through my website also. Fantastic. Well, you've done an amazing job. You're an amazing person, and it's uh, a privilege to know you, and I hope we get to know you further, and we'd love to have you on a TV show sometime. Thank you. I would absolutely love that, and it's been wonderful getting to know you a little bit, too. Yeah, and I'm hoping we'll see you sometime at the Compassionate Friends, uh, one of their national conferences. I hope so, too. I really love them, and I have to say, the last conference I spoke at was my first one, and I... I was there as a quote speaker, but I went to the class, a class on sibling loss, and it was a group, and it was powerful. I just didn't realize, even you know, all these years later, how much I really needed that support. So, what a what a fabulous organization! Yeah, there's nothing like being with groups of people with the same same type of loss and hearing what people have to say. It's a, a pretty amazing. Experience. Yes, absolutely. Powerful. Well, thank you so much, Christy, and and also, how can people get a hold of you if they need to? You've got a website. You can. You can find me through my website. You can email me at Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-I, at drchristinahibbert.com as well. Those are probably the best ways to get me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's just been so wonderful thank talking you to you. Thank you for having me. And also people can go to our Open to Hope uh, YouTube and see an interview with you and me. That's right. Please do that. Thanks, Christy. Thank you both. Thanks. Uh, well, thanks, everyone, for listening to the show today, and we hope you will tell everyone about Open to Hope. As I like to say, we're an oasis for hope for those who have suffered a loss, and we're there for you 24-7 with radio shows, television shows, articles, and all sorts of information to help people find hope after loss. And Heidi and I always want to say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.